When I was a kid, getting up was really easy for me. That is, when I was, you know, six, seven years old, my parents had this rule that uh, we could not get out of bed on a Saturday morning before seven o'clock. We had to stay in bed until seven o'clock. And so uh, my brother, who was a few years younger than I was, we would take turns running out from our bedroom to the kitchen where there was the microwave. And he would come back and I'd say, is it seven o'clock yet? And he'd say, no, it's six dot dot blink blink three zero. Six thirty. And, and so we but we would be awake and ready. And that that changed as I got just a little bit older, and in my teenage years, then my dad delighted to come into the room, and uh, he would sing this song, Roll Out the Barrels, We'll Have a Barrel of Fun. And then he thought it was funny to change the words to Roll Out the Boyos, We'll Have a Boyo of Fun. And I can remember, I have no idea what time it was, but being asleep, and my dad would come in and open the shades and say, Roll out the boyos. And my brother and I are going, no, dad, no, please don't roll out the boyos. But there were other times when he would come in and he would say, Travis, do you know what time it is? Don't you have a test today? And I would leap out of bed and throw off my pajamas and jump in the shower and jump out and put on clothes because I was late. And on those times, it's just this wake-up call, and that's how that term is often used. It's a wake-up call. Are you aware of what time it is? Are you aware of what's going on? Are you aware of this situation? This is your wake-up call. And Paul, this morning, in in, uh, the book of Romans, in chapter 13, is giving the people in Rome a wake-up call. Romans 13, verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Wake up. Pay attention to what's going on. There was a a time when you were spiritually asleep. You were unaware of what was going on. You you were asleep and, and now the word of Jesus has come to you and you have heard about the salvation that is offered through Jesus. And and so it is time to wake up, rub the sleep from your eyes and pay attention to what's going on. Look around you, look around you and, and see what is out there. You know those, those times when you wake up in the morning and, and you've been dreaming and the dream is just one of those really weird ones that you wake up and go, what is reality? What day is it? Where am I? What was that? 
And so you, you wake up and you rub the sleep from your eyes and you just sort of are laying there in bed trying to get your bearings. Maybe that's never happened to you. You have very normal dreams, I'm sure, where your brain is just decompressing the day before and it all makes sense to you. But, but sometimes for me, these dreams, they, they just are disorienting when you wake up. And you, you're laying there and you're trying to figure out, okay, what, what is the next step and where am I and what is today? And he's saying that's what, where we're at right now. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Isn't that a weird thing to say? Usually when we talk about someone believing and having been saved, we use those interchangeably. And here now, Paul is talking about um, our salvation being near. That is, it's not quite yet here, though it's coming. Like the day is about to dawn and it's that, that uh, twilight hour where the sun is about to come up and the day is about to dawn. The salvation is about to be here, but it's not quite here yet. But it's much nearer than when we first believed. That's just just a weird way to talk about that. It's not the first time that we've heard it this way, though. In fact, in in Colossians, as he's writing to the church in Colossae, in uh, chapter 1, verse 21, it says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that is, you were alienated from God, hostile in mind toward God, you used to be that way doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister." That is to say, you, you have been reconciled through the work of Jesus and have, have found that reconcilia, reconciliation in believing in the death and rex, resurrection of Jesus. If you continue to hang on to that, you're, you're in this state where you have now come to believe and you are clinging to this faith with an expectation that you will remain in that faith. Hanging on, holding fast to what you first believed. We've even heard about this earlier in Romans. In Romans chapter 5, it says, it puts it this way, in verse 8 of Romans chapter 5, But God shows His love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. We, we stand in this place right now as, as believers. We stand in a place where we are justified by the work of Christ by faith, believing that He uh, died and rose again from the dead in our place. And so our sin has been removed and we cling to that. But the day of salvation, Christ's return, when everything is made right, that has yet to come. Though it's getting closer and closer. And so we stand in this place where it is now here. We are assured of our salvation. 
But it's also not yet been fully realized. And so we, we stand in this place and Paul now in Romans chapter 13 is writing and, and telling us this. That we know that, that the time, uh, besides this you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. It's imminent. This return of Christ and this uh, fulfillment of the salvation is imminent. It's right here. It's coming very soon. And so be aware of that. He goes on to say, in fact, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. It's one of those, those times when your alarm has gone, up, gone off and the sun hasn't quite come up yet, but you have a very busy day. There's a lot to anticipate about this day, and you've got to get ready. It it was nice to lay in bed. You were comfortable there. You were asleep and you were unaware. But now you're awake, and you realize what time it is. There is not much time left. What are you doing right now with your time? Are you like those who are still in their slumber? Are you like those who are still unaware? Are you like those who who, uh, don't know that the day is about to dawn and they are still uh, active in their sin? Or are you preparing, anticipating for this day that is about to come and walking as though that day were already here? Because there is a sense in which, for us, the day has already begun. The sun hasn't come up and it's not been fully realized, but the day is already here. And so walk as though the day were here. The night is is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. This this, uh, cast off and, and put on is a very clothing language. That that we're going to throw off the, the, the jammies, right? The pajamas. We're going we're gonna to throw those off and we're going to put something else on because we're going to prepare. And, and look at this. We're putting on the armor of light. This is a big day. It's an important day. It's a day to be prepared for. That's why Paul's giving them a wake-up call. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So, so cast off all of the stuff that has to do with the nighttime and prep for the day. Be ready. Now, as, as you recall, the, this, this whole context is, is coming from uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He's he's been telling them that we've got got to have this mind change. Which is the the same kind, it's a different picture, but it's the same idea as what he's telling them in in chapter 13. That you've got to wake up. 
become aware of what's going on and prepare. But what I like about the way that he set this up in Romans chapter 12 is, is that um, this is our response to who God is. And as our minds are, are being changed, we present our bodies even now, even before the day has fully come, even before our salvation is fully realized, we are presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. A spiritual worship to God. And then he just, he starts going through in the rest of chapter 12 and into to chapter 13. He, he, he gives these really concrete examples about what does it look like to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God? What does it look like to have your mind transformed and now behave in a way consistent with the gospel? What does it mean to wake up and uh, put on Christ and cast off the, the clothing of darkness, the works of darkness. What does all of this mean? And so he, he begins now to give us some really practical things. And he's given us those, and he, now we're in, in uh, chapter 13, and he continues to say, let us walk, as, walk properly as in the daytime. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. He uses the same language in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He uses the same language in Colossians chapter 3. He uses the same language in Ephesians chapter 2. He's used the same uh, language before in the book of Romans. Over and over again, this, this language of walking. Walking. The, the way in which you walk. The way in which you behave. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, he says. What is it about the nighttime? What is it about the nighttime that gets us into so much trouble? You have a, a, a long day, and you finish the day, and you get into the nighttime, and, the, and you just want to be done. You're just done with all of this stuff and you just want to forget about all the responsibilities of the day. All of the things that have to be done tomorrow. And you let down in the night. And there's aspects of that that are good. It's important to let down and have rest. But there are other aspects of that that, that can be quite dangerous. Because if we let down our guard completely, then things begin to be temptations that weren't temptations a few hours ago. When you're out in public and you're walking around and you, you recognize there are certain things that I must do to be uh, socially acceptable. There are certain things that... that the type of person that I want to be walking around in public... But when the public is no longer there, when I'm at home all by myself, when it's dark and there's no one there to see, then the trouble can begin. Then we get into things that we probably shouldn't be getting into. Walk properly as in the daytime. 
not in orgies and drunkenness. Now he's going to list three things. I know it looks like six things, but they're really just pairs. And, and this, this word here that, that is translated orgies is uh, like a drunken carousing. A, 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 a just looking for mischief. That, that somebody has, has been drinking and now they're, they're just out there and they're just looking for trouble. I can remember being in, in, in college and there were a couple of different kinds of drunks. There were the people that they were your best friend. Oh, Travis! Man, I love you! And then there were the people that they just were looking for a problem. They were, they were there to get into trouble. And you know what? I saw that a lot more in college than I see it now. I think not because people have changed that much, but because when you're living in close proximity with all of those people, then at nighttime, you see what people are doing at the nighttime. They're losing control. They're losing their very minds. Alcohol is, is used in, in the Bible in a couple of different ways. There, there's um, times in which wine is used in terms of celebration. There is, there is celebration in, in the wine being present there. But there are so many warnings too. There are so many warnings in the, books, the book of Proverbs about alcohol Wine in specific, because that was the most prominent at the, the time. But, but don't lose control. Yes, yes, it's used in terms of celebration and it's part of a party, but, but not partying like the world parties. Not partying like the more I drink, the less inhibited I am, and so the more fun we can have. That's not what it's talking about. In fact, there's all kinds of warnings about that. Don't go to the place where you're starting to lose control. Don't get there. Don't get to a place of drunkenness. Don't do it. You're going to cause all kinds of problems when you get to that place. For some people, it's, it's best for them just to stay away from it altogether. And say, this is a temptation for, for, for me, and I, I'm not going to touch this stuff. There's great wisdom in that. For, for everyone, um, self-control, discipline... We're, we, we don't want alcohol to be a false savior. Which it's tempting to make that. I just feel so stressed, but... Whew, after a glass or two or three... I can relax. 
I feel unburdened. Find yourself in a place where you're going, okay, if I just make it to tonight, I can have a drink and then I can relax. Don't do that. That's a false savior. When we start looking for it as medication, when we start looking for it in terms of hope, when that's where our hope is, when that's where our stress relief is, that's where we're asking for trouble. It's not to be used that way. We want to remain in control of our bodies, remain in control of our faculties. We don't want to wake up in the morning and go, I wonder what I did last night. We'll wake up in the morning and go, oh, oh, ow, I wonder what I did last night. We, we don't want to be in that place. That's, that's like the walking in the darkness. That's the acts and the deeds of the darkness. We want to throw that off and walk as though we are in the light. Drink as though it's lunchtime. Not late at night. There's something that happens late at night that we're not thinking about the consequences of tomorrow or the next day or what might happen and our judgment is impaired. Walk as though it's daytime with other people. Not in, uh, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Again, when you read through the book of Proverbs and you think about the wisdom there, he puts out these, these two women for you. Uh, the lady of, of wisdom and the lady of folly. And, and in, in the first several chapters of the book of Proverbs, there's a lot there about wisdom and, and not using sex inappropriately. Don't go there. Don't go there. In uh, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Isn't that interesting? That same word, in, intoxicated. It's the same challenge, whether, whether alcohol or whether uh, sexuality, it's, it's the same challenge that you begin to lose control of who you are and what you know to be right when you give yourself to this. Why, why should you become intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because, his great, because of his great folly, he is led astray. The book of Proverbs talks about these things in terms of wisdom. Look, when you pursue these paths in the darkness as though nobody knows or nobody's going to find out. I mean, come on. Who's going to know? Who's going to It's not, nobody's going to care. We start thinking that way. We start believing those things. And then, then this, this rope just wraps around the ankle. Well, if I, I just I just go a little further, maybe I'll just maybe I'll just peek. 
And then it wraps around the other ankle. What if I just sort of accidentally wandered into it? I I didn't go looking for it. It found me. So that's not my fault, right? And it begins to wind its way up around our legs. And pretty soon we are completely entangled in this thing that is pulling us down and trapping us. Ensnared in sin. And the next morning we're waking up going, what have I done? I don't want to be like that. That's not the kind of person I want to be. What, what was I thinking last night? How could I have let myself get into that kind of a place? And in terms of, of Proverbs, it's just talking about this in terms of wisdom and, and the, the results and the consequences of, of behavior that, that ensnares and pulls us down and drags us away from God. But in, the, in terms of Romans, where we're looking at it here, we have to remember that what, we're, the, what our context is, is in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You are offering your body as a living sacrifice and one of the ways that you do that is by throwing off the sin of the darkness and the stuff that entangles us and you offer your body by walking as in the daytime before Christ. It's an act of worship. It's not merely this wise thing, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't do that because the consequences of that. No, this is the way that we worship. If you think that you come in here on Sunday mornings and we sing a couple of songs together and you go home and worship is done for this week, you've missed it. If you think that, oh yes, I know, it's in, it's in everything I do can be to the glory of God. Right. Yes. In, in the way that you wake up and open your Bibles and pray and, and, and uh, worship God, that's worship. In the way that you act at night before you go to bed, that's worship. It is presenting your body as a living sacrifice and you go, but I really kind of like that stuff. Yeah, that's why it's a living sacrifice. It's because it's hard. But we give that stuff up because we recognize that the day is coming and what we really, really want, what we're going to want the next day and the day after that and the month after that, what we really, really want, not the momentary thing right now that we think we want, but what we deeply, deeply want is to worship God and be united with Him and delight in who He is. And we can't do that when we're entrapped in in sin. So let us walk properly as is as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Hold up, now this seems to be a different category of things. Time out. I get the alcohol thing and I understand the sexuality thing, but now, quarreling? Quarreling? 
Yes. Yeah, quarreling and jealousy. How you interact with each other. This is, this is worship. The, the unity, particularly within the body of Christ, the, uh, within the group of believers that is the church, this is worship. And the way that I interact with you in the morning, on Sunday morning, woohoo, great, got that one. And then I go home. And I grumble or I complain. Or you get into the night and you get into one of those downward spirals where you're just going, yeah, I, why did they do that? Why would they have said that to me? Why wouldn't they have? Why did they? And you just find yourself in this place where you're spiraling down, 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 down. Rehearsing, rehashing, defending yourself, wondering why nobody cares. Wondering who's on your side. Let's be done with all that. Let's walk in gentleness and forgiveness. Let's walk in love toward one another. Let's outdo one another in the way that we show love and compassion. Forgiveness and grace. You want to identify whether or not you're jealous? Try looking and seeing if you're quarreling. Where's that coming from? Those two things are not always tied together, but sometimes you'll see that. Who are you having an argument with? Even if you're not telling them you have an argument with them. That's my favorite way to have an argument, by the way. But instead, in unity, we talk with one another. We extend grace and forgiveness. That's not not to say that we just bury everything. But we're at a, a place where we can openly and honestly come to people and say, you know, that hurt me. And we can extend forgiveness and compassion both directions. So that the relationship is restored. So that we can be a, a people of great generosity. And when you see somebody and you go, man, I really wish that was me. Why do they have? Why do they get that? Repent of that. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord 
Jesus Christ. The, the, the day is coming. His return is coming. We were told to put on uh, righteousness. We're told to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. The way that you're going to put on Christ in this, in this context is that you're not going to make any provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That requires discipline. Sometimes it requires planning. But you, you, you know how your flesh, you, you just, you really want that thing? Don't make any provision to provide for those. Those sinful desires. It's really easy to, to put yourself in a position where you're going, okay, well, if I just do this, that will scratch this itch. But the more discipline that we exhibit, the less control those itches have over us. And so plan. If the nighttime is difficult for you, make a plan. Plan not to scratch those itches. Find accountability. That's, that's what we're here for. There's no shame in, in talking to somebody else and saying, I have an issue. Can you help me? I think that there are many people in this room who would be delighted to help you walk as in the daytime. Plan that we're not going to do this anymore. But in order to, to make that reality, you're going to have to change something because otherwise it's way too easy to just fall into old habits and patterns. You're going to have to change whatever that is. You, you can identify, this is the trigger for me. This is the thing that sets me up. This is when I'm at my weakest. And we find help. And we take away some of those things that trigger us to go into sin. And we make them unavailable to us. Uh, we've talked before that this is comparatively a very silly example, but I have a sweet tooth. Sweets are a problem for me. Pies, cakes, donuts, cookies, it doesn't matter. I'm indiscriminate. Chocolate. Candy. Do you know how much candy comes into the house when you have five children? <laughs> Halloween, bags full of candy come into the house. Valentine's Day, bags full of candy come into the house. Christmas, bags full of candy come into the house. From the bus driver, from the teachers, from the librarians, I don't know why everyone handing my kids candy and they bring it home. I'm great at being disciplined on their behalf. You may have a piece of candy. I am much less disciplined about myself. I must get rid of the candy. And why would you throw away bad candy? I mean, good candy. So if I'm going to get rid of it, I should just consume it and then it will be gone. I'm doing everyone a favor here. 
We, we have to make plans or otherwise we just fall into that. For me, one of the things that I do, I stick stuff in the freezer. Not the candy. I, I've decided the candy is the kids and I'm, I, that's not for me. So that, that helped for the candy. But for cookies and things, I stick it in the freezer. And I find that more often than not, I forget that it's there until Teresa throws it away and I didn't know. Fantastic. I win. Right? Because I didn't give in to that temptation. The same thing is true whether it's alcohol, whether it's sexuality, whether it's jealousy and strife. You can identify what are the things for you that you are at your weakest. When are you at your weakest? What must you do? What kind of accountability do you have to have in place? What can you do so that this is not an issue for you anymore? We set these things up because a lot of this is discipline. And then we pray like crazy. And we put on the Lord Christ. Recognizing that still, ultimately, this is our spiritual act of worship. This happens because we are transformed. The Holy Spirit is doing a work within us that transforms us into the image of His Son by a renewing of our minds so that we start to think about things differently. And I think that often when we see that word transformed by the renewing of our minds, we're not thinking specifics like this. We're not thinking specifics about transformed by the renewing of our mind in the way that we think about sex. Transformed by the renewing of our mind in the way that we think about alcohol. Transformed by the renewing of our mind in the way that we think about jealousy and interactions with other people and quarreling. Transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we might be a new creation in Christ, completely different, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to Him, which is our spiritual act of worship. And it takes out then the, perf- the guilt of the performance. Because every time we slip, every time we stumble, when we're stuck in moralism, we go, oh! That's not it. It's not a legalism, moralism, that we are trying to achieve some kind of perfection so that God will be happy with us. He's already sent Christ to make Him happy with us. It's not even just a Proverbs-style wisdom that if we do the right things, then we won't have all the negative consequences. No, this is our spiritual act of worship. We do this because we delight in who God is and we want Him to know that. And so we walk as though in the daytime in a way where we have no shame, in a way that we don't have the sin entangling us anymore. And we do this because it is our way of showing Him how much we love Him. So the way that you use alcohol and the way that you use sex and the way that you interact with other people in all of those things, how can I, in this act, worship God and bring Him honor and glory? Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In Colossians chapter 3, he puts it this way. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk, all of them from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. If you're looking for a, a practical next step, I recommend meditating on this verse, these verses this week. Colossians 3, 1-10. Great impact. Meditate on them. Memorize them. Renew your mind by um, meditating on the Word of God. And seeing yourself in a new position as a new creation of him, of Christ, offering your body as a living sacrifice in all that you do. And if there are things that I have said this morning that have stung or hurt you, I just want you to know this is the wake-up call. That's why Paul puts it here. It's a wake-up call. Don't you know what the hour is and what is about to come? Christ's return is coming. It's not to make you feel ashamed or guilty. It's to remind you that Jesus is coming and how do you want to act in light of His coming? And if you need help, please talk to me. Please talk to me. Or your life group leader or somebody else that you trust maybe some other Christian that's walked a little further than you have, reach out and talk to somebody. Because we would love nothing more than to help you delight in God by the transforming of your mind and help you to offer your body as a living sacrifice so that you might delight in Him. Let's ask Him for help in doing that now. Father, we recognize that it is not by discipline alone that we will do this. We will not be able to put off all of our sinful ways or our fleshly desires just by sheer willpower. Lord, would you help us by filling us with your Spirit, by transforming our minds according to your Word, that we might know what is good and acceptable and perfect. That we might offer our bodies as living sacrifices for you. That we might worship you in all that we do. God, would you help us? Father, I pray for those who are here this morning. I pray for those who are entangled in their sin. 
and are having trouble letting go because they feel like it's holding on to them. Father, I pray for those who are embarrassed and ashamed. I pray that this would be a safe place for them to talk about these things. That it might come into the light and it might no longer have hold and power over them. Father, I pray for those who need to be forgiven. That they might repent of their sin and that you would forgive them and assure them of the day of their salvation. Father, I ask that what you would help us as a church not to be jealous of one another, not to be argumentative or quarrelsome, but with compassion and grace to listen well and encourage well. That we all might together be built up as the body of Christ in worship to you. And it is in Jesus' name that we ask for these things. Amen.